If you guys didn't get the notes on the way in, slip your hand up, and uh, Caitlin will get you some notes. You can just leave your hand up right back. There's one, Caitlin, to you. Um, thank you uh, for serving this morning. Last week, um, last week we jumped into uh, kind of an offshoot of Pastor Glenn's series on alignment, one right up here to you, Caitlin, um, and talked about how to approach the Word of God as one of his practical steps to getting under the waterfall of God's mercy and abundant blessing. One was to read and meditate on the Word of God. So we went, let's, let's dive into that. Let's see a little bit more of what that entails. And so really last week, it's in your notes too as a way of review, <clears throat> excuse me, the way that we approach the Word of God uh, is with humility and in obedience, knowing that it's true, and with earnest desire and with the Holy Spirit. Now, if we, can, if we can approach the Word of God every time we open it, every time we go after it with that setting in our heart, right? It's like, okay, Lord, we're here to learn, humility. I'm here not saying I know everything, humility. I'm here ready to do whatever your word tells me to do and to not do whatever it tells me not to do because I believe it's true and complete. I'm here with earnest desire seeking because I know you have something to give me from it. And I'm here knowing that your word says that your word is only discerned and understood by the Holy Spirit, so Holy Spirit, come, right? That's before we even read anything, right? But, but I mean, that, so that's not a... That's not a, a mantra. I mean, you can make it a mantra that you, if it helps you to say it out loud, you know, to, to hear it. If you're that kind of learner, that's good. Say those things before you open the Word of God. I usually pray before I open the Word of God as like, Lord, you need to deafen my ears to any voice that's not yours and blind my eyes to any words that aren't on your pages. Boom. <laughs> and then, and then, it, and then I, I'm a lot more effective with my time. And the Lord can do a lot more when I go into his word with his spirit because that's how it's understood, okay? Okay, Nate, thank you. <coughs> so today, we're gonna go kind of into a part two of this and uh, talk about how to correctly handle the word of truth. That's from Paul's letter to Timothy, that wording correctly. Your Bible might say rightly divide the word of truth. Um, and so let me pray, and then we'll get into this this morning. Father, we say thank you so much for your word, God. I just get more and more excited that this is, a, this is a timely thing, God, in your church for you to be saying, look at my word, look at my revelation, look at who I am, look at the author, look at the author, <laughs> Father, that you would draw us in to not setting the Bible aside and using it as some sort of reference or some sort of uh, like thing that we can grab and hit people with when we need to, but God, really that it becomes a, a part of our foundation in you, God, as it is your revealed truth about yourself. It's complete, preeminent, and so, so important and timeless. It's important. It was important when it was canonized, and it'll be important forever. I thank you, God, for this tool that we have called your word, and thank you for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask you even now, Come and do your work in each of us individually so that we can understand, so that we can remember how to approach your word, so that we can remember how to correctly handle the word of God so that it's useful. We love you, Lord. Amen. The word of God's funny. Today's gonna be a lot, a, a lot of teaching, a lot of, that you don't, I don't often do that in this context, to teach in Sunday school. You know, the, those of you that go to Sunday school as a teaching outlet, you know, we, we do teaching in other places, but this is gonna be a lot of teaching, you know, if practical stuff, if you guys are okay with that. It's gonna be teaching if you're not okay with it, so you might as well be okay with it. Um, 
But we learn a lot from Scripture when we open it. We also learn a lot from other sources. And sometimes the things that we learn from other sources, we actually try to say that it's from Scripture. Because that might have been what we were told. Uh, that might just be what we thought. Um, and this week I want to show us just some practical steps that we can use so that we don't kind of fall into those traps of, of misinterpretation or of reading things into Scripture and things like that. Last, last week we did a big overview. If you weren't here, I said I, I recommend you listen to it so that this makes more sense. But this is going to be real practical this morning. That's why I printed out some pretty detailed notes. You can use those as a reference. Also, what we're going to be talking about this morning, tip of the iceberg, peeking inside of a massive warehouse, where in the warehouse you're actually meant to go in and inventory everything that's in there, and all we're doing is going, whoa, that's a lot of stuff. So this is, I, I'm very aware of that. I hope you are too. That, um, but these are good, good things that we're going to go over. 2 Timothy 2, 14 through 16, it'll be up on the screen. This is kind of our key text that launched us into this study. It says, Paul's letter to Timothy, keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value. It only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles or rightly divides the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly and their teaching will spread like gangrene. Beautiful. All right. Um, I would say that uh, actually a large part of what Paul's describing here as godless chatter comes from people not being rooted in the word of God. So how many of you have been in conversations, and I mean arguments, with people, with other believers about doctrine or theologies, and there's, and there's this going back and forth, and you actually realize that the arguments are about opinions and feelings, right? Well, I feel like well, you should stop right there because, you know, like that's an indicator. And it's not bad to feel. I'm just saying in the context of the word, when we're, when we're arguing about a truth, are, is, it, are we, are, is it apologetics? Like are we defending what's in here? Or am I going to set myself up for apologies because I'm trying to defend what's in here? Right? When, if, if this is what's in here, great. But if it's something different, i got to be really careful. So a large part, I think a large part of what he's saying, he's saying, stop quarreling about words, avoid godless chatter. Yes, gossip, yes, it probably includes a lot of things, but the context of this letter to Timothy, it talks a lot about the word of God. So I think that he's actually referring to the fact that people can come together and start talking and start arguing and start amening when really maybe some of those things aren't rooted actually in the word but are instead rooted in feelings or emotions or opinions or this is the way I want it to be. Um, so we got to be really careful. It's Last week we talked about uh, eisegesis versus exegesis, and eisegesis sets us up for disappointment, and exegesis requires a lot more work, and it requires the Holy Spirit to, for us to get out of Scripture what he would have us to get out of. That's right. Amen, son. Thank you. You know, it's funny, I told a, a joke this week to, uh, to Marissa, I don't, she's, maybe she's with the kids, I don't see her, but you know, she's, she's oh, there she is, she's fresh meat around here, right, so she hasn't heard my jokes, so I was telling, and I told her a couple, and, uh, and then I was like, oh man, I don't know if I've told those before, but I thought it's really funny because uh, it, it it's kind of a springboard into where we're going today, but I, I asked her, and I was wondering, maybe you guys haven't heard this before, but have you heard what, what God's English name is? You know his Hebrew name, Yahweh, have you heard what it is? Do you know what it is? No? 
If you, you would think it was God. It's actually art, right? Our Father art in heaven. You guys, you've been addressing him wrong all these years. No, but I mean, we, 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 hear, we, hear, we hear things, right? I mean, and, but we hear that, you hear that in a joke, that comes, but it comes from a verse, and you see how, that, like obviously people probably won't take that and mix it and start preaching that we need to worship art, but I'm, I'm, just, saying, I'm just saying it's really, we sing a lot of songs, we say a lot of things, we read a lot of books, there's a lot of opinions, right? And so that we, can, we can get mixed up, and I just want to encourage us this morning, the tools I'm going to give you are really to say, like, let's, let's just get out of here what we're intended to get out of here, and let's keep it pure and simple, Okay, all right. Um, so I sit down to do a Bible study, right? You guys, you guys. Last week I talked about defending your time, right? Defend, uh, fight for your prayer time, fight for your for your time in the Word. You might have to get up. Or, you're definitely going to have to get up early. You know, I've, I've people have said before, like, well, if I if I have to get in the Word every day, I'd have to get up earlier, and and I'd be tired. And I was like, yeah, it's like a sacrifice. That's exactly it. You know, you're definitely going to be tired, and. Um, but his grace is sufficient. And so in that fighting, in that contending, we're here in our time. Just imagine yourself. I'm here in my time. I'm opening up the word of God. Now, some of you will know what you want to read going into it. Okay, I'm, I'm in Leviticus. I'm in Hebrews. I'm in Psalms. I do a proverb a day. I mean, or maybe, it's a, maybe you're doing a one-year Bible, that, but you're sitting down, and some of you are actually going to sit there and go, I have no idea what to read. That's okay. That's all right. Ask the Holy Spirit. Open it up. If you're, I mean, when in doubt, open it up and start reading and he'll point you somewhere, okay? It's, it's better to open it up and, and, do, and read something than to keep it shut and wonder what to read. Um, all right, so we're here, we're open. Uh, we begin to read whatever it is the Holy Spirit's showing you to read. So how do we handle and how do we approach what we're reading? And I would say the first thing that we do is we ask questions. So the first, the first tool that we're gonna use is called observation. And the question that it asks is, what does the text say? And the questions that it doesn't ask are, what does the text mean? What does it mean to me? What do I do with it? What, that, that, this is just straight, what does the text say? Okay, I'm going to give a few examples um, of the text that we just read in 2 Timothy 2, 4, 14 through 16. The first, the first verse 14 says, keep reminding God's people of these things. There are so many observations to make from that one little verse. Okay, uh, these people have been reminded before. That's an observation. Um, these people belong to God. That's an observation. There's multiple things they need to be reminded of. You see what I'm saying? It's just, you're just observing the text, right? It asks who's involved, what's happening, why is it happening, when is it happening, where is it happening, how is it happening? It's just facts about what you're reading. So the first thing you can do, and, and, and uh, don't be, you're gonna be tempted, you're gonna be tempted to jump right into what's this mean and what am I supposed to do with it, but if it's a true Bible study, we really encourage you to be careful there because it's got to start with just plain observation. There's kind of, a, a, kind of a progression, kind of a flow to this. Now, the thing is, once you, once you, you know, are, I'm not going to even use the word proficient, but once you're experienced at going through the word of God, you'll find yourself running through this stuff really easily. Or if you're already familiar with the text, you don't need to do observation. You've, You've done that before, right? You've st we've studied this passage. Now, now you're just going after it and just, and just feeding yourself with it and clothing yourself with it and reminding yourself of it. But in the this really helps me because my, my initial push is to, is to sort of read something and immediately walk away with an application. Like I'm just like, okay, what is this? Because it's time, right? 
You're just like, oh, I need to eat this up and, and get what I need from it so I can get back to my productive work. So I want you guys to be, uh, be challenged in trying to take this step first when we sit down to really handle the word of God, really study it out, observation, okay? Number two is interpretation. And the question that this asks is, what does the text say to those who originally heard it? You guys have heard this before, I'm sure. This is, um, if, it's a, if it's a new concept, that's awesome too. Um, this step is crucial. Say crucial. Crucial. crucial to correctly handling the word of truth. Clarifying the meaning of the text as it was originally intended. This is, a, this, is, this is often, 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 often overlooked, often leads to confusion, often leads to bad theology. Be going, you know, will someone, someone walk up to you? And well, I'm not going to use that example yet. Anyways, crucial, okay? There's so much that goes into interp- interpretation. We're just going to hit a few points today. It's a very, very, very large, I mean, they teach seminary classes that are years long on this kind of, I mean, on interpreting the Bible. So it's, but these are going to give you some tools um, that we can use. Interpretation is sometimes referred to hermeneutics. You guys have probably heard this term before. Uh, if you've been around church for any period of time, it's, by definition, it's just basically a method of interpretation. And so there are, there are um, general principles in hermeneutics or hermeneutic principles that we can follow, or interpretation principles that we can follow that will help us interpret the Word of God. I've, I outlined a few of them in your notes there. The first one's called the literal principle. My pastor used to say, in California, used to say, if the literal sense makes sense, seek no other sense. Now, this, doesn't, this isn't literalism, okay? Literalism is actually gonna keep us from seeing all the other types of writing in scripture, right? Spiritual influence and prophecy and things like that. So if we're, literalist, if we're literalistic, we're gonna read things that are prophetic in nature and not quite understand them the way that they were meaning to be understood. Uh, but it is a principle, okay? We approach the language of the text, this is in your notes, to discover and accept the normal, ordinary uh, customary usage of the language as it was originally intended. Um, I love that. If the literal sense makes sense, seek no other sense. Thou shalt not murder. There's no deeper meaning to that. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's not, that's just plain. Take what it is. All right, number two, the grammatical principle is where we discover and comply with the linguistic pattern of the language. So, uh, that piggybacks off of like what I just said. You have to know what you're reading. Is it poetry? Is it parables? Um, is, it, is it prophecy? Is it hyperbole? Is it history? Um, there's so many different ways that, because this is written by so many different people and so many different, with so many different giftings within so many different time periods, you're going, when you read the book of Job and then you read the letter, to, you read James, you're, you're reading two different writers in two completely different times and two completely different contexts writing to two completely, for two completely different reasons to completely different groups of people. And so you can't necessarily read them in the same light, right? They're both scripture and they're both true, but they're, but they're different. We have to understand what we're reading. Number three is the historical principle. This is one of the largest parts of interpretation is the historical principle, okay? That many of you have done Bible studies that involve looking at a historical principle. Um, so we look at the, that first question I always ask is who's writing it and who are they writing it to? 
okay? So a lot of things that were written to churches, we actually can take and directly, and do take and directly apply those truths and principles to us because they were written to believers. Now we still have to look at, was it a correction that was specific to that church? Is it timeless? What was the culture and political setting like? But historical, uh, historical um, uh, principle in interpretation asks all those questions and gets all those answers, okay? You look at the, the purpose of the book. So was it, a, was it a letter to encourage a church, right? Is it a compilation of, of songs and poems? Uh, is, it an, is it a historical account, right? Is it a historical account? Is it a prophetic book? Is it talking to things? Is it a mix? Is it a mix of now and then? And late, and you, have to, you have to ask those questions. Okay, what are the dates? When was it written? And according to those dates, what, were the, what was the political environment like? What was the cultural environment like? What was the spiritual condition of the times? You can do word, how many of you have ever done a word study? Yeah, my favorite word study to do is on the, on the word all. So easy. It means all. So that, that's, but there's so, many, there's so many words that we look at. Even a few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I was in a situation where uh, the, this verse got read, and I went, hmm, I read it, and I went, uh, I actually don't think that's, I think a, one of, in, that, in a particular uh, translation of Scripture, the translators in the Greek actually added a word to make it make more sense, but it was based on what they thought it meant, okay? So somebody read it and said this, and I said, oh, actually, I don't think that word's actually in there. So what's in my Bible is you look up the actual Greek, the, the Greek, the literal translation from the Greek, the word's not in there. It was added. And so it's not, it, you just have to, it doesn't mean that your Bible's wrong. It means that an interpreter put that in there, okay? And so we, we but if we don't ever look at that stuff, it's really, really easy to just go, well, that's just kind of what it says. Well, well you're, you're, believe it or not, the Bible wasn't originally written in English. Wish it was, but actually I don't. <laughs> Hebrew and Greek are much more fun than English. Like, you could say, you have one, one word in Hebrew, and we have to write three sentences to try to describe what it means. And we're like, oh, we don't know. We have to make words up for it. You know, it's, it's, it's deep and it's rich. I love that. Okay, so it, it does word studies, um, grammar studies, et cetera. It really helps us see the differences in how God relates to his people under different covenants and dispensations and, and different cultures and things like that. Is this making sense? Are you guys? Okay, cool, good. Um, word studies are fun, and, and, they're, and they're easy uh, it, to an extent. I mean, they're so much easier with the internet, but please, please, please do not use Google as your Bible study tool, okay? Like, because you can use, I use Google every day, like, because, it, because, I, because I know the Bible study tools I'm looking for. Google's a search engine, right? And so it, it, you type in the word, type in the word kingdom, Right, like Kingdom New Testament, and that's what you're looking for. And it's going to take you to play, it's place like Bible Gateway and things like that, the trusted sources. It's also going to take you to some weird things, okay? Stay away from the weird things. Stay away from the blogs and the opinions and the, you know, because those things often are not rooted in here, okay? Uh, and I want you guys to be really careful, okay, that the God of Google, the highest authority, believe it or not, is an idol. So... Yeah, okay, make sure. I was like, can I say that? Yeah, it's not a God. Uh, but it is a tool, and we can use it. Think about it, 20 years ago, you know, when I, well, when I was a kid, and people were like, why don't you do a word study? My dad's like, go get the encyclopedias. 
I'm like, but they're heavy. And he's like, go get the encyclopedia, right? My dad bought encyclopedias for us in 2002, okay? Because he was holding out on buying a computer for us. 2002, like when everybody started to get the internet. And you remember, that internet? Like, we, we didn't have it yet. And so the encyclopedia salesman came to the door. My dad bought like $400 worth of encyclopedias. I don't think they ever got open. So anyways, that's okay. They make really good boat anchors and stuff. Um, <laughs> Door stops, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyways, back in here. Uh, <laughs> the last principle in interpretation is the contextual principle. How many of you guys heard people say, context, 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 context is king, context is key, context, context. You're hearing it now if it's for the first time. Uh, it, relates to the tar- it relates the target text to the flow of the thought leading to the passage and the flow of the thought following the passage. Here's the example that's in your note, the word fan, right? In the context of a hot day, what comes to mind? Or the fan in the context of Asia, what comes to mind? This kind of fan, and in the context of a football game, what comes to mind? Okay, if it's an Alabama game. Um, <laughs> Uh, I want to tell you guys, context, 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 context. I'm a, one story here has actually set me free. Actually, I told Pastor Glenn it was probably four months ago now or something like that. Um, many of you know my story, how I, I just, you know, can't, in 2009 started to get set free from a set of beliefs that was really damaging and um, had, had a lot to do with just a, a um, incorrect view of God's sovereignty, an unhealthy view of God's sovereignty, and a, and a damaging view of God's sovereignty. And so much of that teaching actually comes from the book of Romans. So I had, I had done endless. I mean, I could, I could recite so much of the book of Romans. I'd studied it, you know, for years. I'd sat in classes that were years long just on Romans, you know, in high school and coming out of high school and, and uh, I would say my college age. I don't want to deceive you, though. I wasn't in college um, but I was in this, and it was, and so I was so wounded, actually so wounded that I didn't even like to read Romans anymore, up until like four months ago. Not that I didn't believe what was in it. It was that I would read something, and there would just be wounds still that came up, especially in chapters 9, 10, and 11. And, and so anyways, I, I'm in the prayer room. Here's a plug for the prayer room. I'm in the prayer room, and I just feel like the Holy Spirit's like, go read Romans 9, 10, and 11. So I finished my prayer set, and I went, and I just read Romans 9, 10, and 11. And I'm, this is the look on my face. I'm not making this. This is the look on my face. <laughs> I'm like, Glenn, like a kid. Glenn, did you know that Romans 9, 10, and 11 is about Israel, about Jews and Gentiles? And he's like, yes, I did. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, did you know that it actually isn't talking about, like, like lost, ver- you know, like reprobate versus God's church. Like it's talking, he's, the context is Jews versus Gentiles as Paul writes to the church at Rome. He's like, I know. I'm like, I didn't know that because that's not how it was taught to me. But when you read it like a child, when you read it with the Holy Spirit, when you read it in context and actually exegete from it and not eisegesis, this is what I believe, so therefore I'm gonna put it in there and make this mean it. Sorry, word. I, I got freed. I love reading the book of Romans now because I can read it and I can go like, oh, I know what that's talking about now because I read it from, with the lenses of the Holy Spirit, not from a tainted lens. So good. Context, context, context. All right, number three, correlation. 
I love correlation. What does scripture say about the text? Scripture's the best in- interpreter of scripture. It really is. Uh, you, you've probably heard me say, what's the whole witness of scripture teach on that? Because people will come to me, but what about, and you've heard this, but what about, and then they fill in a verse, and I'll say, what's it say from Genesis to Revelation, through Revelation? What's it say through Genesis to Revelation? Here's a big one, guys. I'm not gonna go into this today, but I'm gonna definitely drop a bomb and run away from it. And so, but... <laughs> This, and I just, I'm just gonna say, and we've talked about it in Sunday school a little bit. Some people, when, when someone dies or, or, like, or when a child dies, uh, I've heard this many times, people will come to me and they'll say, well, that was just God's timing for that child. I'm like, guys, I don't know. Because the whole witness of scripture, the whole, I mean, Genesis to Revelation, what I get about life and death is that long life is a blessing and that shortened life is a curse. That's what I get when I read the whole Bible. I draw that principle out, okay? I also draw a principle out that says that the devil came to steal, kill, and destroy, and that Jesus came actually so that we could have life and life abundantly and to destroy the works of the devil, okay? And so people are like, but what about when it says that it's appointed once for man? I'm like, what about that? Let's look at that in its context. We're not gonna do that today. Boom! I challenge you guys to do it, though. It's awesome, and it, it really, I mean, it's heavy, and it's a lot, and there's a lot of mystery in it still, and I don't have all the answers. But I'm just saying, when we ask the question, what does Scripture say about Scripture? Because Scripture is a unit of truth. It really will help us in, in, in our interpretation, this correlation principle. Um. We say your interpretation that you're in step two, your interpretation has to fit the whole witness. You can't come with a new private revelation that doesn't fit the rest of, of the word of God. Something that you're like, well, I know the word says this, but God told me this. Like that won't, I mean, that doesn't fly with, well, me or anyone. <laughs> so um, the truth, um, it has to, it has to be true through and through. Here's an example. James 2. Uh, 24, it says, a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Okay, that's what it says. A simple reading of that verse raises some issues, right? Because it seems to contradict Romans 4, 5, which says, but to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. You're like, well, those verses say the opposite things. Well, that's why we need to correlate. That's why we need to ask the questions about who, what's, what's James, what, who, what's that written to, what, what's it talking about? We gotta ask those questions, and that's gonna help us out. That type of correlation will lead us to these amazing questions um, that the interpretation methods will help us answer, okay? All right, a couple more, you guys good? Good, stop bragging. I'm just kidding. Um, it's important to realize that the Bible has what I'm gonna call apparent contradictions. Some people call them paradoxes. It seems like, well, it says over here one thing and then it says over here another thing. How are they, are they both true? Are they both wrong? Did I read it wrong? Is one right and one wrong? And we have to start asking all these questions. Um, we need to understand that those discrepancies actually in, occur in our mind, in the mind of the interpreter, and they're not in the nature of biblical truth. Okay, so the Bible doesn't have any error in it. So if we read it and go, hmm, there seems to be some error or some contradiction here, 
we're probably reading it wrong. Or we just, I mean, not wrong, but we probably just need to read more and ask more questions and, and, and really go, well, Lord, I know, that, I know that you're not contradicting yourself, so help me to understand what I need to get out of this and what I need to see, okay? Which actually those kind of things that we wrestle with lead us into step four, uh, which is verification. What do others say about the text? I encourage, you not to, I encourage you not to ever just jump to this and say, well, I'm not gonna look at the word of God for myself. I'm just gonna pull up Bill Johnson, Derek Prince, Mike Bickle, right? Whoever your go-to, whoever your, I'm not gonna say cup of poison, cup of health, Zeb. Zeb's a good theologian. I have Zeb, but I mean, you, I encourage you not to, just, not to just take what people give you, but to be like the Bereans and really go in there yourself, right? But that being said, verification is very, very, very important. I love it. We do it all the time. I run stuff off Glenn, Kyle, Kaylee, Rachel. I've run stuff off everybody. Hey, I'm reading this. What do you think? And sometimes, especially Glenn has such a, he, you know, among our staff, obviously the most seasoned and intelligent and all these things. And so if I, if I run something by him and he goes, I've never heard that before, I go, probably not from the Lord. Maybe, but maybe, maybe. I'm not, I'm not saying no, but I'm saying, like, if we read a scripture, I'm like, can it be interpreted this way? I've never heard that before. <laughs> He's so humble, but usually that means probably not, you know, um, but, it's, but it's really good. We, we need, I put in your, I think in your notes there, your pastors, your home group leaders, disciples, these are great people to, to verify things, to bounce things off of. Hey, here's what I'm getting when I, I looked at the text, I kind of did this study, I know that Paul's writing to Timothy and all this, but here's what I don't understand, and you, and you kind of lay it out, and then you can get feedback. Commentaries are good places to get feedback. Don't use commentaries as a crutch. Same pastor that said, if the same sense makes sense, if the literal sense makes sense, seek no other sense, always used to say, don't use commentaries as a crutch, because it, a commentary is what? Someone's opinion. It's someone else's opinion. Okay, just like verification, we have to understand commentaries aren't scripture. Commentaries are opinions about scripture. And there's four main different kinds of commentaries. I think I put them in your notes. It's not important to go into the, all the different descriptions of them today, but I can explain them to you later or at a different time if you'd like. But the exegetical, expositional, homiletical, or devotional commentaries. Devotional commentaries are the easiest ones to read, basically. You know, basically. Commentaries are useful, uh, they help us, and verification is useful because they help us not to develop any, what I call, new beliefs, right? Beliefs that, there's a, there's a different Bible study method that actually asks the question, what has, the, what has been, a, has it been a belief in the church since the church was established? Like, has it been, has it been, even if it's, you know, now held in different denominations or streams, like these guys don't believe it and these guys do, as long as it didn't appear in 2019, we probably can, we, it holds some weight. You understand what I'm saying? Like if I come out of my Bible study and I have some sort of new doctrine of private revelation, verification, hopefully you've, you verify with people that'll say, no, <laughs> please, please don't do that because that's adding to the text and we don't need to do that, all right? Okay, number five, last one, application. Often the first question we ask when we read the Bible, what does this mean to me, what do I do with it? But usually I would encourage it to, 
to get pushed to the back of the list of questions that you ask. Make it be the last question that you ask because you'll only apply it correctly when you understand it correctly. Paul wrote to Timothy and encouraged him to teach people at the time to correctly handle the word of truth. Well, that involves knowing it. That involves understanding it. That involves believing it. That involves com- being committed to obeying it. That, that involves all those things. We can't, we can't apply it at all and make it our reality if we don't know it. It's making the truth, the definition of application in this context, making the truth and the word of God part of our experience. And there's also going to be a temptation. In closing, I'll say there's also going to be a temptation. We've probably all been guilty of it. Guilty of it. If application is making, if application is making the truth in the word of God part of our experience, there's going to be a temptation to actually make our experience be the word of God. Okay? So, Genesis to Revelation teaches us about God's character, and it says that God is good all the time, right? Yes, God is good all the time. We need to read our word. God is good all the time. So when someone comes up and goes, I just feel like, I feel like God dishes out evil sometimes. Like, I feel like God gave me this cancer. Hmm. That is... <laughs> yeah, nope, thanks, Ray. Yeah, but that, that is actually me trying to put my experience, because I'm wounded and offended in my condition, trying to put my experience and make it truth rather than making the truth a part of my experience. You know, experiences are good. I'm not saying, that, you know, I was preached at me one time, you know, you can't trust your experiences. I'm like, I can't trust my experience. What can I trust? Like, did it happen? You know, like, you know what I mean? But I understood the heart of what they were saying. They were saying, don't make your experiences the foundation of your belief. That's the difference. That you make this the foundation of your belief and your experiences can line up with this. It actually, this helps you interpret and, and explain your experiences. What just happened to me? Not, hey, this just happened to me. This is what it means. This is what it was for, away from the word of God. See how it's dangerous to do it away from this. Does that make sense? Okay. So some of the things that we look for in application, what does the text mean to me? Are there commands to obey, examples to follow, principles to apply? Uh, Pastor Glenn talked about this one a couple weeks ago. Conditions I need to meet, right? A lot of times the Lord will say, if you will, then I will, okay? That's conditions that we need to meet, promises that there are to be fulfilled, um, talked about that in Sunday school this morning, even uh, about about knowing or believing that the promise is for me, and or, or I'm sorry, uh, confessing that I need the promise, believing it's for me, and then confessing the promise, accepting the truth that I need it, believing that it's for me, and then confessing it. So we look for those promise promises as a way of application, and then really the questions that I ask are what do I learn about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What does this show me about the character of God? Uh, what do I learn concerning sin, uh, attitudes, people, spirits? Because oftentimes what we do is we approach the word of God with a predetermined answer to our question that we have, and we search in here for a way to make it valid. Uh, I'm gonna, uh, I don't wanna move out. I wanna keep living with my girlfriend. It's gotta say, look, there's grace and mercy. God has grace and mercy. Man, it just doesn't work like that. 
So we, we, actually, we actually come to the word of God, but that's not coming to the word of God. Hum, humble, remember we have to approach it in humility. That's not coming in obedience because you're actually looking to just keep doing what you're doing even if you're confronted with do something different. And it's not coming in earnest desire, you're coming in fear, right? And you're not coming with the Holy Spirit because he's sitting there going, excuse me, may I come in, right? And we're like, no, 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 we don't need you. Anyways, none of you do that, I know. I hope this has been helpful today. I really hope this has been, these has been practical steps for if we're to approach the word of God and really, really hold it as a foundation, then we have to know how to read it and study it and apply it. We have to know how to interpret it. Now there are countless, uh, countless sources and, and in interpretation tools and word study places you can go to, countless people you can verify with, commentaries you can use. I can, Pastor Glenn and I could both suggest good ones. We can definitely suggest bad ones. And, and, and we can, or just ones to stay away from. That's all, that's all. And, and, but but the, the long and the short of it is we each have to get into the word of God for ourselves. We each have to believe that it's true. We each have to dive in and go, because you can do it. Bible study's not for, not for theologians alone. You know how I know that? Because I do it. <laughs> Thank God that he's chosen to use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. <laughs> Worship team, can you guys come on up? Thank you guys for hanging with us this morning. I know it's different. It's different to have more of a teaching time in this time, but I really, I felt a, a heavy, heavy, heavy burden on this two or three weeks ago um, to, to, to end up here um, because, as I said last week, and it, man, even the church is getting away from the Bible. I mean, of course our culture is, but even the church. And I just want to say, like, may it never be. May it never be. Like, sin doesn't have to abound more so that grace can, like, should, you know that question about, well, should we sin more? No! Like, like, well, Lord, we see that when they take Bibles out of schools, we see mass revivals. Right? So I'm just going to take the Bible out of the church so that revival can come. That's not it. That's not, that's not the formula. And so I just have this deep, deep desire in my heart to see the word of God brought back to, to the forefront. We don't, we don't worship it, but we worship the author. Man, it's his revealed word for us. Man, if you have your Bible, if you could just hold it up. Just gonna pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. God, there's so many people around the world. This is illegal in countries. This is burned if it's found. People are beaten, imprisoned, and killed if they're found with it. That alone should tell us how much power lies in it. Never. Before and never again has there been or will there be a more controversial book, a more life-giving and powerful book. This is alive. Lord, and we say that we want to approach it in humility, in obedience, with earnest desire, and with your Holy Spirit, Father. We want to see, glean, learn, interpret well, and, Father, apply everything that's in it that you have for us. Every principle, 
every command, every thou shalt, every thou shalt not. Every single thing that is in this revelation, we want. And I want to be able to know it, defend it, love it, and be amazed by it every day. And so, Lord, I just commit, I commit to even getting into it more and more and more and more. And, Father, I'm, I'm going to say out loud in this prayer, because it's true, I know that I'm going to get tired when I open it. I know that I'm gonna, that the devil's gonna try to get me to go to sleep when I read this. I know that as soon as I open it, my phone's gonna ring. I know that as soon as I open it, the TV's gonna get turned on. As soon as I open it, my kids are gonna need me for something. As soon as I open it, my stomach's gonna start to hurt. As soon as I open it, I'm gonna get a headache. I'm opening it anyways. I'm reading it anyways. That's the fight. We're gonna fight to get this revelation inside of us so we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds to be able to test and to prove. Thank you, Lord. Would you stand as we close? talking to Kyle, I, I didn't go to seminary, but I did do this night school seminary classes thing for a couple years, and one of the things that we had to do was memorize the, memorize the Nicene Creed, which is similar to the Apostles' Creed, it's a little different wording, and we had to say it before every class, the whole thing out loud, and uh, you realize as you read the Nicene Creed that you can read, the more you learn about scripture, the more you see actually every sing, how every single line is a proclamation of truth and a harsh correction of a wrong teaching that was going on at the time. One of the ones, some of the ones that stick out to me the most, uh, Jesus Christ, begotten of the Father, not created, right? Jesus Christ is not a created being. That, and that, and that, that's in there for a reason, of the same essence as the Father. Talking about, talking about the same, that, that Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all God and that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. I love this wording in it. I love that they wrote it down. I love that it's rooted and grounded in this. And the reason that they did it is because they needed to teach themselves that because there's a lot of swirl and there's a lot of falsehood going on. And if we know the authentic and we know the genuine, we are able to react in a right manner all the time. I'm just real thankful for that. So if our prayer teams could come forward, uh, just home, home group leaders and um, if you guys would come forward. If you guys have any prayer requests um, at all for, for health, for finances, for jobs, uh, if you wanna need prayer for uh, those words that Kyle gave her, those words of knowledge, if those landed with you and you need somebody to pray with you, come forward. And um, worship team's gonna play. Pastor Glenn's gonna prophesy. I'm just gonna take a second. <clears throat> I encourage you to take these notes home. Put them in your Bible. And, and as you read, keep those out and check yourself and look at them as a guideline. This is one of the most important messages that's ever come forth from this house. Because deception is at an all-time high, and if we cannot run with the footman, how can we run with the horseman later? Right. 
if we're not ready now, if we're not doing this now, how can we be ready in the days ahead? And I want to just <clears throat> publicly say what a, what, how thankful I am to have a staff, to have an associate, an associate, and a worship leader, and back there, Derek, who love the Word, who can be trusted with the Word, who you can go to them, and they're going to give you counsel based on the Word. This is like really, really serious, what's happening in the earth today of deception. So I'm, I, that's the only reason I came up to interrupt, was to say, take it. I'm going to put that in my Bible. This is my reading Bible because it's not so big that I've got other things. But take it and just refer back to this.